It's past the vazool, baby. Come on in. Welcome to Scream Until You Like a Podcast. As always, I hope you're still screaming. I hope you're starting to like it. Uh, I am Clint Swan. That is a reference to the movie we're talking about today. And I am here with the Mike Pool, a.k.a. Evil Mike. How you doing, Mike? I'm good. Yeah? Yeah? So, I was wrong when, uh, when I said that this is a movie that not a lot of people talk about. Um, I actually did a search through YouTube and I looked for reviews on this movie and I found quite a few. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> and, uh, one of them actually, uh, if you've heard of him, um, oh, uh, uh, Jason Nike, who does that backtrack, backtrack cinema, uh, show. He recently did it like just a few days ago. I've so heard it. Like, I did. Yeah. I've heard yeah. of that show. Yeah. It was a short review though. Um, <clears throat> I, it wasn't nearly as in depth as we're going to go, but I mean, uh, so shout out to them um, real quick. And um, I just want to say that uh, um, this is a movie that hits me a little differently than some of the other ones we've talked about. Um, I am a longtime Clint Eastwood fan, and that is 100% my dad's fault. Um, we We watched Spaghetti Westerns. We watched... Uh, most of, I should say, most of the uh, Harry Callahan movies. Um, uh, I even watched some of his other ones, like The Gauntlet and things like that. Um, there, there is a couple of holes in my my Clint Eastwood viewing. Um, like you, you mentioned, like in Sudden Impact. Um, I never watched that movie. Oh, like that's I, a good one. I have to go back and watch that one. So maybe one of these nights uh, we can watch that, and I can. Fill that gap and decide for myself if I like the Harry Callahan. That has the famous yeah. make my day scene. Oh, does it? Go ahead. Make my day. Really? So what, they did it again? I mean, other than... Uh, he doesn't I... say make my day in Dirty Harry. That's the... That's the... I know what you're thinking. Did he fire five or six rounds? <laughs> okay. That's when he's like, do you feel lucky, punk? Do you? Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's um, wow. Like, is that one of those like Mandela effect things where it's like people think that they've seen that and they really haven't just because of how popular it is and pop culture? Well, his his lines have gotten so popular. I, I think a lot of people don't even realize that there's so many movies uh -huh. that there's five dirty Harry movies. Right. You know, a lot of people just attribute the make my day all the you're feeling lucky but everything to like the first dirty harry movie you know okay. so i think that's just the overpopularity of it you know and i'm the same with you if it wasn't for my dad my dad was a big clint eastwood fan and i watched yeah. all these movies with him and they're great they yeah yeah um i would dare say that 
because of that experience and watching, you know, all of those movies with my father, um, that I gave other Clint Eastwood movies a try that otherwise maybe I wouldn't have. Like I was drew drawn to the movie because he was in it. Um, I could say that about pink Cadillac. <laughs> I can say that about, um, heartbreak Ridge. Um, there's, uh, in the line of fire, uh, there are all those so movies. many different types of yeah. characters that he's played. Yeah. And not just, I mean, yeah, you have the dirty Harry, then you have the spaghetti Western, mm -hmm. you know, fistful of dollars, hang them high, yeah. you know, high plains drifter, oh. you know, but then you get the comedic, you get like Bronco Billy, any which way, but loose, uh -huh. you know, then you get this serious, you know, in the line of fire and heartbreak. It's, such a broad spectrum of movies. Yeah. You know, so you can't even typecast him if you wanted to, because he's does so many different types of movies and he's badass yeah. in all of them. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I would have to say that, uh, he probably holds a, a special place for me, um, uh, to the point where, you know, some people who don't have that experience outside of the situation would question it. Why? You know what I mean? Um, it's just it's just a point of nostalgia. Just like this movie, uh, The Deadpool from 1988. Um, I saw this in the theater um, with my dad. And honestly, it was a special experience. And and I'd have to say there is a ton of nostalgia uh, for this movie going back to look at it again. Um and I have to say, I was kind of scared to go back and watch it again uh, because so many times I've watched a movie sometimes. Uh, well, recently, Clint Eastwood movies, you know, in this same uh, genre, I've gone back to watch them again. And I'm like, oh, fuck, this movie sucks. There are some stinkers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we watched the other night. Tightrope. Tightrope. Yes, I distinctly remember liking that movie when i was a kid and, and i watched it again i was like what the fuck is this <laughs> bullshit <laughs> like it didn't even make any sense yeah i was so mad about it i was they like came a little ass gun they were like what the, i was like what am i watching here <laughs> yeah and like uh the killer was underdeveloped like when they did the reveal at the end i had no idea who i was looking at yeah it was i don't even know if you were supposed to know I was like, um, who the fuck is that guy? All you saw like, were those ugly ass sneakers the whole fucking time. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, but was what? he a cop? Did we figure <laughs> this out at some point? If it wasn't for the popsicle chick. Yeah. <laughs> that movie, she was like the only saving grace of that movie. Right. Well, at the end of the movie, I was thinking that, uh, you know, he is like the world's worst detective because he's just going into like, uh, the New Orleans night scene and he's like banging prostitutes and he's trying to figure out who the killer is. And in the end, the killer's so frustrated that he hasn't been caught. He goes to his house and you know <laughs> like, what I mean? I'm, I'm right here. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, yeah, maybe cross that one off your list. I don't think I'm going to remove review that movie. Yeah. that's. <laughs> oh, and I also watched the enforcer. I watched that one by myself. That's my least favorite Dirty oh, Harry movie. Man, is it awful. With Tyne Daly and it was just I, basically him being just a you know a male chauvinist the whole movie. Oh, absolutely. 
<laughs> and, and like he begrudgingly respects her at the end, you know, because she took bullets for him. Yeah. I mean, like this is to get the fuck out of here. And yeah, then it was that whole scene, you know, with the uh, with the rocket launcher, you know, at the end, it's like, OK, why would the dude like drag that, you know, uh, drag the mirror up there, leave him on the lower level and go all the way up to the top? To by the top. Himself? Yeah. Why would you do that? It's like, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I that movie was not not good on my list and I probably won't be watching it again. Now I remember why I only saw it once. Yes. Yeah. Same <laughs> thing cuz I went back and did a watch of all of them. Yeah. And when I got to that movie I'm like, "Oh, this one sucks." I'm like, "This one." <laughs> and you know, and the despite anything else, I actually did kind of like Tyne Daly in that. Um she did a good job. Um I just don't like how they wrote her character. Yeah, um, exactly. She didn't nothing wrong with what yeah. she did, you know. She she went on to do Cagney and Lacey. I mean, Big time, uh, yeah. And uh and I think, I mean, I could be wrong. I think that was on the strength of that movie. Like I would, um, I would say I would believe that in a second. Yeah. But anyhow, <clears throat> there was a big span of these movies though. They went I mean, yeah, Dirty Harry was 71. Yeah. We had Magnum Force in 73. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Enforcer was 76. So they were like on a steady, steady roll there. Then yeah. we don't get sudden impact till 83. And this movie was 88. Release date, uh, July 13th, 1988. Um, and I was reading a little bit of trivia on it, which I'm sure you were reading some of the same stuff. Yeah. Um, and the production schedule of this was super fast. Like um, they... They basically uh, greenlit the project in January of that year. They started filming in February. This thing was actually done and out in July. And I read Less that five months they were done. The director, uh, Buddy Van Horn. Uh-huh. Well, if you look him up, he's directed a lot of Clint Eastwood movies. He's a good friend of Clint Eastwood. Yeah. And I read that that's why Clint Eastwood wanted him to direct this because he was, I guess, notably. He was known for being a fast director. Yeah. Like Jim Carrey was on this movie for three days. That was actually kind of cool. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about him yeah. uh, when we really break into it. But, uh, um, dude, Jim Carrey freaking killed it. Like, we're used to seeing him as this, like, slapstick, you know, like, rubber face, like, crazy, you know, acting yeah. dude because of, like, the Ace Ventura movies. Ace Ventura, but, like, even, like, uh, Fire Marshal Bill, like, when he was on yeah. Living Color and stuff like that. But he gave, a... he gave this a real performance. Uh, like, I believed his character. Without a doubt. He he did a great job. Yeah. And his his death scene was was really impactful. Like, that's one of those things that that I immediately remembered after years in between viewing viewings of this movie i remembered his performance mm-hmm. yeah it's pretty kick-ass um <clears throat> did you see this in the theater yes i did okay did you go alone I, this was not what my dad though this was i i was 16 17 when this came out so i went okay. and i remember seeing this with my friends oh okay yeah um first impressions of the movie um, as a younger kid, when I saw it, it didn't have to do much to impress me. Just Clint Eastwood on screen with 
with his gun. I was like, as soon as I saw that, I was like, told my, like, I was into it a lot more than my friends were. Some of my friends yeah. were like, Meh, you know. Yeah. You know, I was like, this is great, wasn't it? I was like, especially, it was 88, Guns and Roses was in it. I was like, I was like, look, you know, that alone was like, oh, so look, there's Guns and Roses. Right. You know? So it was a, it was a, you know, I was happy to just to see another Dirty Harry movie. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was like you. They didn't have to do a lot to draw me in. I was drawn in from the, the opening music. Um, the opening scene was awesome. The fact that there was a relevant song of the time in the yeah. movie, you know, that they were highlighting. I mean, I mean, what song can you think of at that time that was more popular than Welcome to the Jungle? Oh, what I, I mean, yeah, it was. Yeah. I mean, what do you got to pick? Freaking Def Leppard. You know, <laughs> like it's like no, it, that, it, that it was the fit biggest the theme song. of the movie too. Welcome to the jungle. It, it was, yeah, it was it was a great pick for the movie and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. So I don't know. You want to break into it? And we we start off. What do we have? We have um. It starts off with a news report. Uh, because they want to give you like just. A tiny bit of um, uh, background as to what's going on with Harry Callahan's character right now. That's right, because he's so they talk ready about the, to testify. Yes, the Lugionero case. And the Lugionero case. So mm-hmm. it starts off with Lugionero's guys making a hit on Harry. Right, right. So we get this nice little driving sequence. He's dri- he's always driving at night. I mean, um, and uh, he's crossing a bridge. You know, he passes an exit. You know, he ends up... Uh, um getting irritated that these cars are following him too close he's getting an idea that like mm-hmm. he's being followed because he's like get off my ass <laughs> you know what i mean and uh and a, a car pretty nice cabero i might add passes him and he looks at him you know and then they basically just like stop right in front of him and of course he locks up the brakes a couple of guys with machine guns hop out you know and he like backs up and then he goes right forward at him, crushes the one dude in the door, which is freaking. Brutal. Yeah, that was great. That looked awesome. Then he backs up again and hits the car behind him, you know, which was really cool. Um, all while under gunfire. It's it's amazing. The guy never gets hit. He's like uh, somehow... guys with Uzis and right. And he's got a handgun. And meanwhile, not a scratch. Yeah. And and I might add when he pulls forward again, he turns to the right and it is the lamest car flip scene I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it's like he drove it right up a ramp and it just fell over. You know what I mean? And I'm like, oh, fuck, Harry, I thought you were going to do this, like, brilliant getaway. Yeah. You know, next thing you know, there's a dude crawling up on top of the car. And he's like, bam! Like, hits that guy right in the head. And then it, they ended, like, with that one guy running. And it's like they give you that gratuitous shot where he's right behind him and he just just watches him run and boom. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, he only had to shoot three people in that scene because uh he took care of the other guy with the car. Yeah. Um pretty pretty good opening scene, um, despite the uh lame ass car rollover. Yeah. Um <laughs> and uh, of course they cut to a scene where where he's walking into the captain's office, you know. Uh, getting berated by him about how much a uh, an unmarked police car costs. 
was like $13,000 and some change. And all I could think about was, damn, I wish they cost that much now. Right. <laughs> I'd drive around in a freaking Oldsmobile if they only cost $13,000, you know? <laughs> yeah, big time. Um, but they have a discussion about the Lou Gennaro case. And, and basically, it's it's kind of a heated discussion. Um, and they they pull him off the streets because they're like, we need to figure out what to do. Um, so you don't get like killed before you have a chance to testify, you know, in the Lugenero case. Um, and of course, public relations dude is there, the lieutenant, and he wants him to cooperate more with the press. Press and you know, which kind of is the theme that goes through this movie. Like, like working with the press is like throughout this entire film. I ain't no dog and show pony. <laughs> yeah, no dog and pony show. Pony show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they want them to play nice with the press, and they want yeah. you know. And they're they're saying all the things like, uh, you know, you know, uh, your thing on the Gennaro case is, you know, done a lot for the department's image, and for once, it's positive. You know. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, uh, they're like, we just want you to play ball with the press, and he's like. He's like, how positive would the company image be if I resigned? Yeah. You know, <laughs> or the department image. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, let's not get crazy. They bring in Al Kwan, the um, Chinese-American officer who worked in, uh, in the gang task force. Yes. And they're like, oh, what do you think about this? And they're like, oh, well, you know, the department could really use Al's experience. You know, yeah, well, we're moving him to homicide. He's your new partner. He's like, what? <laughs> Which he he plays that in basically every movie. That same scene. <laughs> Make sure you get yourself a bulletproof vest. Yeah, yeah, it. yeah. That was a good line. If I had to say anything about this movie, I'd say that the writing was better. Yeah. Um, and um, and I was trying to look up the writer of the script, um, Steve Sharon, and I couldn't come up with a lot. Uh, I've only I only found this movie as as his only real credit on IMDb. I couldn't find any real biography information on him because I was really intrigued by him um, for a couple of reasons. One, this movie was written pretty well, in my opinion. Um, it had it had some really good dialogue. You know, I don't know if that was attributed to him or some of the rewrites with other writers that were on the project, but also the horror movie stuff. There was a lot of like almost like slasher slasher type filming in this. Like um, somebody went in and they had to do their research. Somebody knew how to film a slasher movie when they did this. So I don't know if it was the director. I don't know if it was the writer. Um, and and I know we'll get into it, but I mean the movie posters for the fake horror movies. You know, the, like we said when we watched it, we were like, we'd probably see all of those movies. I would watch those movies. And then another thing, I did, I read after the fact that you mm -hmm. hard to catch the movie. What was the the Satan Hotel Satan Hotel Satan? Yeah, the face on the movie poster is the witch from Season of the Witch. Yeah, Halloween part three. three, Halloween three. When I read that, yeah. and I went back, they changed the color and. Yeah. But I was like, how cool is that? Yeah. So, I mean, to me, it's it's pretty clear that somebody worked on this project, either in uh, like production design or or something like that, who was an actual horror fan. Somebody was a, definitely a horror fan. 
because they hit all the right notes. Exactly. You know, they they had cool movie titles. They had awesome taglines. You know, they had great looking posters. And when they when they did like uh, uh, the little montage scene where they were showing highlights from some of Peter Swan's films, some of his mm-hmm. supposed films, it's like they looked like legit horror movies and and either stuff that I felt like I had seen or I would have watched. Without a doubt. Yeah. Somebody so, was absolutely a horror fan and, and it, it definitely showed. that. Yeah. Now, I wish I could have figured it out before we did <clears throat> this talk because I totally would have highlighted whoever that was. Um, mm-hmm. Because uh, they they deserve a little recognition for those those neat little things in there. Without a doubt. Um, yeah. So Harry is not into having a partner, uh, but it's what he's got to do to stay on the street. And he was like, you know, most of my partners end up in the hospital or dead. He's like, maybe you want to ask Al how he thinks about that, you know, and uh, and he's like, well, I think I can handle it. And that's when he throughout the line you talked about get a bulletproof vest kid you know and and that's kind of where they where they ended it you know uh that he kind of just reluctantly accepted the fact that he was going to have a partner now and uh and now we're going to figure out something about you know al Quan. um and this is where we cut to what you talked about uh the jim carrey scene jim carrey shooting a video singing yeah uh exorcist like dummy in the bed <laughs> yeah and um so it actually started out really cool you know you got like the welcome to the jungle theme you know coming on there and he's like doing a really good lip sync and he's like dancing and kicking his legs and stuff like that and and like uh um like really acting out things that are in the uh in the song yeah and then purposely they had him like go out of sync with the recording and he actually did that really good too um and uh they stopped it you know and you find out what a dick peter swan really is because he's like he's like cut cut johnny you're out of sync you know and um um, we have a very young liam neeson yeah very young liam neeson and i will say with a ponytail right (laughs) 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 which is not a great look on anybody but uh and it really i feel like it didn't really work for him i want to say that was probably a hair extension that they put in in wardrobe oh, definitely yeah you know um but let me just say uh not being english myself um i felt his english accent was great definitely um now i don't know what an actual like english person would say to that you know they probably pick it the hell apart and say oh he's got a dialect sounds like it's a mixture of this and that you know (laughs) or like he's just he's just pretending to be like somebody you see on the nightly news um but uh i thought it was good and it was actually because of that that at this time in my life not being super exposed to him i thought he was english oh i'm yeah i would have doubted it i don't (laughs) recall at that age but Yes, seeing that for the first time, I would have yeah. thought the same. Yeah, but and and it was much later that I found out that he was Irish. <laughs> His accent is way different, big time. Um, yeah, but yeah, um, and we have Jim Carrey yelling at him. Oh, he was so good saying if. Well, first he was pissed. He's like, "Why aren't we on a set? Why do we have to shoot in a warehouse?" And Liam Neeson tells him. 
Well, because the cold will give you gives you the breath, and it's more for the audience to see your breath when you sing. Well, if you were a good director, you'd be coming up with original crap instead of doing a cheap Exorcist <laughs> knockoff. Yeah, because it's not a knockoff; it's a homage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can tell how pissed off he got. Got all upset and indignant about it. He's like, "It's not a ripoff; it's a homage." You <laughs> stupid! You know, Nanny realized that. Uh, that he was hurting as he said it, you know, um, that, uh, he was jonesing for a hit. Yeah. And he's like, Oh, I don't believe you. You're hurting, aren't you? You know? And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, they had this brief discussion that, you know, was about drugs. And he's like, you know what? Just, uh, just let me go back to the trailer and I'll get it together. I'll come back. And we'll kick some ass. You know, he's like, all right. He's like, can I get a coat? Somebody get a coat for Johnny. You know, so he leaves, goes to his trailer. We see a pretty convincing shoot up scene. Um, yeah, that, that, I was going to say that. That yeah. a very convincing scene. And his immediate reaction to it felt appropriate to me. You know, where he basically just had you could see the wash of euphoria go over him, you know, and and that he just kind of sat there doing this like little la la you know laughing <laughs> shit you know which was really cool and then uh like the timing of the killer was perfect like no sooner did that happen door opens you just see a little bit of light you hear the door a figure clearly walked in and he's like uh what do you want you know that type of shit yeah and it's like just grabs him by his hair and like shoves some shit in his face you know what i mean and to me, that was a pretty convincing overdose scene. Mm -hmm. Like he uh, he had an immediate reaction to it, you know, like uh, just had this this primal like shaking it off and like stumbling forward. And then he like is crawling back, and like you can feel like the pain of like his his heart giving out, like and his like I I'm telling you, Jim Carrey freaking killed that scene. He did. He was I don't. I don't care if he was only on set for three days. He gave a great performance in that. And and I don't know if that really earned him any real credit or got him any other so job. He's not even credited as Jim Carrey. He's credited as James Carrey. James Carrey. Yeah. 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 I feel like that work should have got him more jobs. Without like, a doubt. Uh, yeah. And I don't know if it did or not, but I mean, it's definitely something he could have touted out at some point. And the killer takes the Hotel Satan poster, which I thought was cool. He just grabbed a trophy from the scene and left. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and of course, we got to continue the investigation. We get uh, Harry and Al Kwan. Um, they're looking at it. Somehow, uh, Harry must have learned some stuff about medical examination because he's sitting there saying, well, you know, he's got crystalline powder around his mouth. He's got scabs up and down both arms, you know, mm -hmm. and, and he like found the spot where he just recently injected. I'm like, don't you normally have like a coroner in here to do this? You know, but like, like Harry's just kind of winging it, you know, and Harry uh, Callahan, I don't need a coroner. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I can figure this shit out. And <laughs> um, and they go outside and um, um. I feel like he's actually attempting for like two seconds to do what the lieutenant said and cooperate with the press. Mm -hmm. But then they see that Corvette drive up 
and they know it's Johnny's girlfriend and they go rushing her um, because it's like they want to get like a reaction like yeah. her basically knowing that he's dead. And it's like, yeah, that was a pretty compelling scene. It's pretty pivotal, in my opinion, that um, to express like how bloodthirsty the press seems to be. Definitely, sometimes. definitely portrayed the press as the vultures. They are. They can be sometimes. Yeah. And, and Harry's not the most caring individual on the planet. Um, he never was in any of the previous movies. No. And this was no exception. Uh, but for some reason, <laughs> he he felt to take it upon himself to try to shield this poor girl from the press. Gets in the middle, tells them to back off. They don't do it. So he rips the camera out of the dude's hands and like throws it. it. He does like, a, does like a shot put with this thing. And it like hits the ground. You see the lens break and all that stuff. You're know, like, that was great. Yeah, that, that was pretty good. Um, and uh, of course, Samantha Walker, the uh, reporter that keeps showing up, you know, is like smart. I, I felt this scene was appropriate. Oh, yes. Um, Patricia Clarkson. She's great. She's great. Uh, I've seen her in a bunch of stuff, but it's she like, has been. Like I told you the other day, she's attractive, but she kind of looks like a bird. So she's got a little like a, a weird look to her, but she's still very attractive. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And she's got kind of like that, uh, that low voice, not quite raspy, but almost. Yes. Um, which is, is, I don't know. There's almost a seductive quality to the way she talks. Yes, I, I know exactly so, what you're saying. Yeah, I don't know if that's one of the reasons why she got cast in this or not. But I mean, you know, it would have played a factor for me. You know, if, if I'm, you know, getting people who can like basically act like a, a reporter, uh, but also have some level of attraction, you know, that we can make a believable connection between, you know, Harry Callahan and, mm -hmm. and them. Um, and this movie is just old enough that we found out the killer uses a typewriter. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is before the world of word processing <laughs> and computers and printers. Now, he it would have been equally believable if he had like a Commodore 64 and like a dot matrix like printer. Kind of like, yeah. <laughs> he had like <laughs> Or an Apple II with a with a processing program on it, but no, he's old school. He's using a typewriter. Um, I found it interesting that he's typing up the letter to the press, you know, and the envelope and everything, and he's using his bare hands to touch all the paper. Yeah, it's <laughs> so it's like we haven't caught up forensically in the movie to be like, oh, well, maybe we should have him wear gloves. But uh... yeah, really. To me, that was kind of a plot hole, but it I suppose it didn't really matter because we find out that he sent that letter to uh, to the press um, and that was going to be contaminated regardless. Yeah. Without the police getting hold of it. And to go back a second, I like the interaction between Lee Neeson and uh, Clint Eastwood <laughs> when he's talking and interviewing him. Yeah. And when it's Clint Eastwood, he's like, does everybody on your set do drugs? He's like, we don't do drugs. We do film. 
What they yeah. do on their own time is their own business. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all they wanted to do was, uh, it seemed, was, was with every scene with uh, Liam Neeson's character, Peter Swan, was to make him appear as pretentious and douchey as possible. Yeah. As, and they did a good job. Like, whoever wrote that uh, probably had some experience with some douchey people. <laughs> yeah, I believe that. <laughs> uh, because everything he said, like, throughout the entire movie, he's he, he's like, uh, oh, that's their problem, not mine. You know, as long as it doesn't interfere with my film, I don't give a shit. Yeah. You know, um, uh, drugs were his trademark. You know, his people were in charge of, you know, whatever his issues were, not me. You know, yeah. Uh, he's like, oh, that's a very caring attitude. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, look, what do you want from me? You know, drugs was his trademark. He spent half his career singing about him. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then later on, he's like talking about how everybody's jealous of him and his talent. You know, and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> you know could there be a more self-absorbed pretentious douchey director i'm not sure maybe and you can t- <laughs> i mean later in the movie really doesn't mean but when he's like in the theater like reviewing footage and stuff and uh, yeah. harry callahan walks in he's like uh like <laughs> like this dick again <laughs> yeah. exactly Exactly. Like he just, uh, you know, to a degree, I can kind of feel for him. He just wants to, to work on his film. That's well, all he wants. I mean, like, oh, why are you now? people He's fucking like... harassing me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the um, uh, the killer sends a letter to, to uh, several um, new studios from what we find out. Uh, Samantha Walker gets a first. She does a piece on it. Uh, which is basically just a letter on how the Deadpool works and a list of everybody who's on it. You know, so that's now public knowledge. And I think it's important to note that. Um, and then we get a weird scene. Harry and Quan are getting tea in Chinatown for some reason. And I really feel that it's only to get five seconds of character development on Al Quan. And then immediately that's cut short and we get a broken window in a Chinese restaurant, some dude flying through it. Um, So some morons decide to rob a Chinese restaurant and looking at it now, I'm like, why? It's like, couldn't you find a better target? It's like, it's a fucking Chinese restaurant. You know, you're going to go in there four dudes with guns, shoot somebody. All you're getting is a till and uh, and whatever you can get out of the patrons in the restaurant, you know, n- not to mention, you know, the one yeah, dude... it's like lunchtime and the streets are mobbed in like in a crowded <laughs> Chinatown area. It's like, where is right? Right. And the one dude looks like the wish version of Anthony Michael Hall, with the rat tail. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and, um, and I feel like they made this scene like. Like it felt like it didn't belong. Um, and they made this scene just so they could have Harry slip in. Shoot some people. Yeah. Go for backup. He slips in somehow without them seeing him, right. sits at a table. You forgot your fortune cookie. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It was just for that. It was like yeah. fan service. Right, right. 
crushes it one hand. Somehow the dude stands there to listen for it. Want to know what it says? Yeah. Said your shit out of luck. (laughs) Then the guy gets pissed off, goes to raise his gun, and just gets plowed with a 44 mag in the chest. (laughs) And he shoots two other guys. Um, Shot the guy with the shotgun. Um, And then... Another other Remington dude. 870. Yeah. And the other dude got hit twice. Yeah. <laughs> got hit. He got hit once, knocked down, then he stood up, and then he shot him and blew him back into that fish tank, um, which was kind of cool looking. Yeah. Um, goes outside to kill the other guy, and then Quan decides to just kick his ass. Kicking the shit out of him in the street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He kung fu's this guy. You know. He goes full, full Mr. Biagi. You know what I mean? And like does this like double leg kick thing, knocks him down, fucking uh, handcuffs him, and like brings him back. And Harry Harry has his dumb line that's echoed from earlier, an earlier scene. He's like, personally, I think that uh, teaming up with a Chinese American is good for the department's image. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, so, but in my opinion, the scene was almost completely unnecessary. Yeah. Like, it's only there for the cool factor. Um, it doesn't make a lot of sense, as we pointed out already. Um, and the only reason, you know, that we we had anything leading up to it was to get a little bit of character development on his partner, Quan. Um, You're right. They only cut that. I mean, because with a guy where they're walking out of the restaurant, I guess like one of the the owner of the restaurant says something in, in Chinese to Quan. And yeah. like curses him out, and he's like, "What was that all about?" He's like, "I told you, I wasn't." Yeah, was, I used to run with gangs, and we used to hit them up for money. Yeah, that's right, protection money in the neighborhood. I was like, the yeah. guy didn't see you until you were leaving. It was like the guy served you food, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. But yeah, that was just that was uh, all just to have yeah. a I'm gonna shoot the bad bad guy scene. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad it's there. Oh, it, yeah. It's, it's a cool true. scene. But it's almost entirely unnecessary for the, right. plot, the plot of this movie. Um, so, like, that could have been a short film. They could have used that as a trailer and left it out of the final cut. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, um, it uh, it didn't do a lot to further the story. Um, but what? Well, the okay. only thing that, that does pertain to the story is the guy that Quan beat up had the Deadpool list on his person. Well, see, that was the weird thing. They got it off the dead guy who went through the window. That was somebody working on the motel hell movie. And he was, and and that's why he said wrong, uh, just some poor guy in the wrong place at the wrong time. Wrong time. And they found it on his body. And they're like, I'm like, wait a fucking second. It's like, why did we even need that mechanic to find that Deadpool list? Because in the, in the very next thing, you know, uh, we had the news reporter doing a broadcast on it because she got a letter. So, like, it was almost completely yes, unnecessary. It's totally not needed. Yeah, and they and they threw it in basically just to have another another vehicle of delivering the Deadpool uh, list to Harry. Yeah. So he would know that he was on it. So up to this point, he didn't even know he was on a list. Right. Um. So I'm like, like. Every time I, every angle I looked at the scene from, I'm like, this didn't need to be here. <laughs> and maybe I'm crazy, but, um, but I still like the scene. I'm not going to lie. Yes. It was cool. Um, we get a little weirder yet. 
Um, Harry gets uh, uh, taken into the captain's office again. Um, they start railing him about, you know, destroying, you know, a camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's like, I got a bill for a camera and a lens. He's like, when I told you to stop, you know, wrecking our police cars, I didn't tell you to go out and buy something else to destroy. <laughs> <you know? laughs> and and they're talking about a $2 million potential lawsuit, you know, against the city by the uh, the news station um, whose camera he destroyed. Um, and, you know, of course, they walk her right in, you know, uh, Samantha Walker. Um, to basically discuss it briefly and she's like i'm willing to drop the lawsuit you know but all that depends on inspector callahan suddenly she's inviting him out to dinner i'm like it's a weird way to ask somebody out on a date you know yeah um but we did find out that um um she was using the lawsuit as leverage uh, to try to get an exclusive interview with him uh, because he's had this long um, past history of, you know. And she's obviously, she obviously a... has been researching him for a long time. Oh, yeah. Because she pulls out a binder. And if you even notice, one of the, when she turns one of the pages, there's the newspaper clipping. It says Scorpio Killer Court, which yeah. is the killer from Dirty Harry, the first movie. Exactly. So she's been building this information on him for a long time. Right. Because he has a long history of basically facing off with some of the city's worst, you know, criminals and or killers and basically either putting them behind bars or doing away with them. Yeah. And she's very interested in doing a piece on that. And he wants nothing to do with that. Um, and um <clears throat> He like shuts her down right away and he's like, all you people want is blood and uh, you don't care you know, who you steamroll over to get it. And uh, all I know is I'm a cop with a price on my head and, you know, you just want to like, you know, ride on the fact that they might be successful and increase your ratings. You yeah. know, <laughs> so he storms out. She gets all offended. Um, and that's that's kind of just the way that went. So uh, in true. Harry Callahan fashion. That's exactly how we would expect him to react. I think exactly. Yeah. Um, I do want to throw in there that they had another seemingly unnecessary scene. Um, for some reason, in these movies, they always like to do like workout scenes, like, <laughs> like every single one. It doesn't matter if he's, you know, boxing, lifting weights, jogging. They're always doing some type of like workout thing, you know, in these movies. I don't know if that was supposed to be eye candy for the ladies watching the movies or something like that, but it's like, I'm like, this feels out of place. This also feels like an unnecessary scene. But the thing that I noticed, um, having just talked, uh, like you and I just watched the movie Tightrope. Yeah. I swear the red sweatpants that he wears in this movie are the same ones that he wore in Tightrope. They look exactly the same. Like the shirt's different. That's it. Like, I feel like these were his personal sweatpants. The problem, I don't doubt it for a bit. And, and I'll tell you another funny thing that I just read today. And when I watched it, I had to make a point to watch it. All right. If you look at everybody working out, there's no weights on what they, whether it's, whether it's a machine, 
they're you know they're pushing the machine. There's no weights. There's no plates on it. Whether they're doing dumbbells, there's no plates. <laughs> and they said because they didn't want to put weights on them because obviously the scene took a bunch of takes. And if they would have had weight, they wouldn't have been able to do it. Yeah. And if you look, there's one girl laying on her stomach, mm-hmm. and she's like, "Well, you fold your legs back." But it, I even had my niece left. I was like, "She looks like she's sleeping, like she's taking a nap." She's just like, mm. "It's <laughs> like there's no." I'm like, <laughs> you know, I was like, "I was that made me crack up." That's one of those weird things that I never noticed. Well, I would have um, never noticed if that if I didn't read it, I would have never caught it. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I'm because you're so focused on the conversation that they're having together that you're not really right. paying attention not to the looking... people in the background. Go, go back and watch that scene. You'll crack up. It's, it's hysterical. I think I will. That sounds like an amazing thing to do. <laughs> and and what did that? Did the part with those two knucklehead cops, that, like tail Harry for for his autograph. Did that happen already? <laughs> no, no. Where he thinks he's getting and he grabs one and puts the gun to the other. Ooh, yeah, yeah. We just want your autograph. <laughs> no, no. Um, I think um, I think that was a little bit later. If I'm, that was like another being honest, dopey scene that I felt like didn't really need to be there, but it was funny. Right. That was kind of the mark of this movie. Just like all these unnecessary filler things that had nothing to do with the plot of the film. It was either put in there, you know, just to shoot something cool, or or so Harry could do something funny. Yeah. Um, well, maybe even just to say, because one of the cops was like, well, how we need more people like you taking this garbage off the streets. Like somebody was like pro. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not everybody's just like you're just at the department saying you just destroy shit. And, you know. Yeah. 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 You get some dude there stroking a Zico. Well, we need is more guys like you, Harry. Taking these scumbags off the street. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now that happens right before the uh, the elevator scene. Right before the elevator. She was like, do you always get was that your first order? He goes, yeah. He goes, hopefully my last. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the, the only thing that happens uh, before that leading up to it is they get mad about the news broadcast. He goes to see her at the news station and just confronts her about it. You know, it's like, did you ever think to, like, run it by the, you know, the department before you did that? And she's like, no, because they sent it everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get the story out first. And she's like, I'm sorry if you feel like I derailed your investigation. That was not my intention, you know, but it's like. I got the story. So again, he feels like that's the most important thing to her. Thanks to her, yeah. But he kind of had, you know, somewhat of a change of heart even before he went in there because he's like, oh, it seems like I owe you one. It's just like, what's that? Dinner. You know, so now we've reversed it. She didn't ask him to dinner. He asked her to dinner. Uh, and they so go. So now he's getting into the I want to bone you phase. Yeah, yeah. So. He's get, <laughs> getting into that. You know, he's starting to soften up to the idea of like an exclusive. I don't know what kind of restaurant they went to, but it was better than the first one, you know, because they go up to like the third floor of a building in this this like outdoor elevator. Window. Yeah. And they and he gets more of her story. So we're learning more about, you know, her as a reporter and, and who she is as a person. And so, like, you could tell he's really he's either open to getting to know her better or, you know, he's just trying to, you know, I don't know get a girlfriend temporarily i don't know but but um um that's where the they go to leave he's like 
well, let's think on it about the exclusive. And she's like, deal. And that's when you get the two dudes that want his autograph. Of course, he that's... thinks he thinks somebody's pulling a gun. He grabs him, shoves him against the wall, sticks his gun in the other guy's face. You know, he's like, hey, I, I just wanted your autograph, <laughs> you know. And the other dude's like, can I shake your hand? Can I... And, and uh, <laughs> he's like, we need more cops like you, Callahan. Get these scumbags off the street. And he's like. Yeah, can you make it out to, uh, what was it, Chester or something? Chester Dockstetter? I was like, what kind of name is Chester Dockstetter? You know? And um, uh, so he does all that. And the one dude's like, I gotta change my shorts. <laughs> <laughs> like, right. like, like he shit himself after <laughs> having a gun in his face. <laughs> like, So it's like, they put that in there only for like comic relief. You know what I mean? And what I get was like, right after that, they go in the elevator. And yeah. he gets attacked by Gennaro's men again. And where were those two guys that just held, you know, like you just asked for his autograph. You couldn't have been very far. And you, you don't hear the guys shooting him with freaking Uzis again. And it's like they're nowhere to be found. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and on top of that, you know, like uh, Lucinero does nothing but hire incompetent hitmen. Yeah. Because it's like, why? Why would that be your plan? To shoot at them from the ground floor with Uzis. You know, at an elevator that's on the third floor that's coming down. Why wouldn't you just wait for him to get to the bottom and shoot him when the door's open? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, a competent hitman would do yeah. that. But, like, they didn't. They just did it for, like, the theatrics of it. You know, Eddie's like, he throws her down, you know, lays on top of her to protect her. You know, like like a real, you know, warrior. And like I read, reaches up, hits the button to stop it on the second floor instead of going down to the ground. I read that when they did that scene, too. She was real because what they did apparently, because obviously the guns weren't real, but um, they were firing marbles through the window to break the window and give that effect. So, but but while between, they were in there, but between the loud gunfire, like the fire sounds and the windows yeah. breaking. Even though it was fake, she said she was scared shit, but she was like very comforted when Clint Eastwood jumped on top of her. Yeah. She goes, actually, <laughs> I was like, I guess I would too. I would be like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And that kind of blows my mind that they really did something that dangerous while they were actually in there. Like, I thought that was all like kind of staged, you know, yeah. I, like, uh, you know, like you would do something that would be that would not be harmful. Um, and you just shoot the other stuff and do like creative cuts to just kind of piece it all together. Yeah, really. Like, it kind of blew my mind to read that little bit that they did some of that while they were actually in the elevator. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? You know, it's like, did they have to sign waivers or like get extra insurance, you know, to do that? I mean, it's like, that's so weird. Um, but it, it was, was cool. It looked it great. Was the 80s, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So obviously... He he gets up off the ground. He goes out, dodges like a shot from the one guy, shoots him. The other guy goes running off for a getaway car. He takes two shots at him, puts him down. Getaway car just drives away. You know, he's like, "Oh fuck, he's dead. I'm out of here." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I find it funny that he goes back. He's trying to comfort her. They say a news reporter like uh, doing a preliminary invest. You know, like reporting on what happened. She sees him. She's like, oh, it's my competition. I don't really want to be on the news. <laughs> yeah. How, how ironic. Yeah. So like, let's get you out of here. Yeah, let's get you out of here. 
you know. So now we get another like fun scene because to this point in the movie, they don't know what to do about all these hits that are put out by Lugenero. So we get the prison scene. This is Harry, a great scene. I know. How how fun was that? I mean, um uh Harry must have cooked up this idea on his own. He goes in there and uh he wants to see this one guy. Butcher and, Hicks. Yeah, Butcher Hicks, just this big, big hefty dude. He's he's like, they're like, Hey, you got a visitor. And he looks out, he's like, Fuck do you what? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I brought you some cigarettes. And he goes, What do I gotta do for him? He's like, Nothing. Just stand where I tell you. <laughs> and so they walk to the cell block where Lugenero is, and he's like, Wait here. Just there in the corner. Goes to see him. They ha- they do not have a great conversation. Um, where like Lugenero's like, Oh yeah, I heard about the Deadpool. Good news travels fast. You know, he's like, I need you to call off your man. I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, you know what? You got too much time on your hand. You need a job. He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, a job. He like yanks him out. He said, like, you see that gorilla down there? Yeah. He's like, that's Butcher Hicks. He killed three men. Know how he did it? Tore him apart with, with his teeth. <laughs> they didn't even find all the pieces. You know? <laughs> and he's like, he's like, so what? He's like, he's like, well, um, he said, I'm going to be sending him a letter once a week about how I'm looking in on his poor sick mother. And I'm trying to get him special privileges here at the prison. You know, and if anything happens to me, he's gonna he's gonna come see you because you're the postman. He's like, you'll be lucky if he doesn't come down to this office and cancel your ass like a stamp, you know. <laughs> and um, he's like, so you better ensure speedy delivery and hope nothing happens to me. Walks down to, to Hicks, hands him his cigarettes. He's like, that's it, that's it. Was, oh, did you uh, see that dirt bag I was talking to? That smoking's bad for you. <laughs> yeah, got like, Ugh. yeah. He just he's like, and everybody's. Yeah, is anybody who smokes as much as you? It's what dumb son of a bitch. Louis <laughs> <laughs> shuts himself in the in the cell. Amazing scene. I, I love that, and that was uh, some much needed humor. I think that uh, some of the past movies kind of lacked. Yes. Yeah, because Harry was always good for like one liners or something like that, but never anything that like. Nothing on. really comedic. Yeah. And this was kind of a like a, a different direction for the character. And it's kind of sad that we didn't see it before. Mm-hmm. Um, but we get this little bit in the in the final movie. This is where we get a little bit more foreshadowing. So now that Lou is kind of off of Harry or we or so we think he is, um, we get a little bit more into the story um we get um the shipyard thing where they they're trying to film the scene slash is on the harpoon gun and uh he shoots it misses the dummy hits the window and um um peter swan's bitching at his freaking effects guy again he's like where is that you know lazy piece of shit you know or whatever he is and he comes out. He's like, oh, the tide shifted. He's like, oh, the tide shifted. The ocean's incompetent. Not you. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and uh, it's one of those things. I just love, I just love those lines. And, and of course, he talked to the press a little bit at the, about the, the Deadpool, which I think that was just filler. They did this scene just to show us 
what they were filming. Yeah. Because, you know, it's it's a plot point they're going to throw in later. Uh, we get the death of the critic. Um, she doesn't know who the hell he is. Just to paraphrase, um, he's like, what kind of critic are you? He rattles off a bunch of names, you know, of movies. Uh, Shadows of the Dead, Hell Without the Devil, uh, Night of the Slasher, you know. Um, and she's like, Peter Swan? You know, he's like, what do you think of my films? Give me your honest opinion. And she's like, I like them. And he's like, <laughs> liar! Stabs her. So, <laughs> off-screen kill for the critic. Um, which was also on Peter Swan's list. So, and I know we talked about this before. Uh, Swan movies that are in this uh, are fake. Um, definitely look like movies I would watch. As far as the captain's concerned, two people on this guy's list are dead. He's the suspect now. And we get another unnecessary scene. Just like, the copycat guy? Yeah, Gus Wheeler. The dude who like doused himself in gasoline. Which uh, which would have won up like two seconds after. Oh my god. Those <laughs> flares. That's an open flame. Yeah. And he's doused in gasoline. Gasoline vapors are what catch fire. You know what I mean? He would have gone up, you know, like the first instant that he lit one of those flares because he wouldn't have been able to keep it far enough away from himself. Yeah. Um, which the only reason that this scene makes sense at all is to give Harry a reason to change his mind about Samantha Walker. Because like he just thinks she's a bloodthirsty, you know, news reporter at this point mm-hmm. um, and that she's willing to step on anybody you know, um, film anything um, and just exploit somebody's pain and suffering to have a story. And they did this so he could pose as a camera guy and get firsthand, you know, like visual mm-hmm. of her telling somebody, we're not going to film this. You know, you could talk to me and tell me your story, you know, but we're not going to show, you know, the yeah. public when you die. Um and uh, of course, <laughs> what does he tell him? He goes, well, he goes, we'll get the weenies and the marshmallows, but we ain't filming. But you're not going to be on film. Yeah, yeah. He's like, you can set yourself into a bonfire. We'll break out the marshmallows and the weenies, but you ain't going to be on news at 11. <laughs> yeah, it's another good scene. Uh, and then, of course, they couldn't give you all that build up without the actual fire. So they had a. Uh, a mimic uh, uh, a mechanic for him to actually catch fire he re- he lit a new flare because this other one was getting low he throws that to the side and then the trail of gasoline hits it right he blazes up Harry shoves her down and then he like tackles this guy knock him out of the flames so that uh, the medics can put him out um, and you can see like his like uh, the vinyl jacket that he was wearing is all burned, burned right up. here. <laughs> he just takes it off, gives it back to the camera guys. Says, Thanks. Thanks. They don't give two more thoughts of that guy who just set himself on fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I did appreciate how some of this movie was filmed like a slasher movie. Yes. I don't know if we, if we really touched on that. Like definitely the scene with the movie critic. I felt was done like a slasher. Um, 
and I want to say that uh, not to jump ahead, but like whenever he went to capture um, Samantha and he took out her assistant, her cameraman, Bob, um, that was done very slasher-esque. Um, and then, of course, he hops into the, the truck and like um, grabs her by the face and, you know, taunts her with the knife. But I mean, the whole scene where he grabbed Bob and like you could tell he was doing something off camera, probably cutting his throat. And then you just see the blood like hit the ground, drops the body and it starts kicking a little bit. It's like th that somebody had some experience like shooting slasher films to do that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like I said, somebody definitely was a horror fan who worked on this film. Maybe one or even more, but you know. it was definitely obvious in the film. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, we forgot hmm. the remote control car. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, obnoxious scene. It was <laughs> yeah, go for it. It was just... Okay, so the killer who's sitting in his 79 Monte Carlo and uh, he's got a remote control car with a bomb. Yeah. And at first there's other kids and they have a remote control car and it's not working. So yeah. Harry and Swan drive off and all of a sudden the kid's like, screw it. This ain't working. So when they shut their remote, now it's working. So yeah, he's driving high speed down the streets with one hand and Still yeah. managing to to drive this remote control car through the streets of San Francisco with the other hand. Right. And keeping up with the car. It's like even when he's on the sidewalk. They, I like how the, there was a guy loading fruit and there just happened to be a box with a angled ramp so the car could jump up over it. I'm like, really? <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I know. It was so stupid. Um yeah, the remote control car bit was was cool. I mean, I have some problems with it. Um, like, like you get a you get you had to get one kill with the remote control first. So like, you got some random dude like getting ready to go play tennis, backs out of his garage, and he gets blown up. Yeah. Um, and of course, they cut to them investigating, and Harry's like, "Oh, what's this? Oh, looks like a wheel to a toy," and tosses it up on top of it. That's all you get. You never knew who the guy was. No, nope. you just assumed that he was on Peter Swan's list. You know, and they had to set up a scene where, you know, Harry and, and uh, his partner, Quan could be in the same car and they had to give him a head start, which is why they had the little thing with the remote control signal. Yeah. You know what I mean, some kids trying to play with their remote control car and his is on the same frequency and like neither one of them are working. So the kids shut theirs off. So they got a head start. And then, like, I guess it goes down a hill and like doesn't stop fast enough and it pulls in front of their car after driving underneath. Yeah. Like, Could have blown him up if he had yes. better, better timing, but it's like in front of him and suddenly like Harry, like works it out like immediately. It's yeah. Like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> and do you ever try and drive a remote control car? It, yeah. Like, maybe I just suck at it, but it's hard as fuck. You need two hands. Like you can't you need, do it with one. And even with two hands, it's like like I know I've had one yeah. in the in the park across the street, and yeah. I've fucking banged into walls. Yeah. And this guy is literally driving through the streets of San Francisco with yeah. it while driving another car. Yeah, yeah. He's in a high speed pursuit, and he's like operating this thing that should take two hands. Yes. 
we we have to assume he's using one hand. I like to think that he's using two hands and he's driving with his foot. Yeah. <laughs> because it, like how do you have the dexterity and the multi-skill, you know, uh task to do that? And, and that was basically my problem with this whole yes. scene. Um and I, I even wrote it down. I'm like my thoughts on the remote control car. I mean and and they're doing like high speeds chase streets of san francisco their cars are getting all banged up you know like they're ramping off these high well, they said that whole scene was based on bullet right the 69 uh, steve mcqueen movie from 68 with the yeah. mustang but with it just a remote control car <laughs> yeah yeah which was a nice take and i enjoyed that but to me i feel like i feel like the remote control car probably couldn't do the same speeds as the other cars. No way! That's my take on it. Although they claim in the trivia that it outpaced the car a couple of times. Um, but I'm thinking it's just because they really weren't doing high speed. Yeah. And the car could, the, the little remote control, because they kind of like uh, beefed it up. Like they used like a, a bigger battery with like more output. And it may be possible because I know some yeah. people that are into that stuff and you could build better engines for them. Yeah. Just like you could beef them up just like anything else. If you put the <laughs> money into them, Yeah, but that's probably on a straight run. You're talking about going through. And there was one point where the truck pulled in front of the car and the, the remote went under it. So he didn't even, there was until he went around the car, didn't even see where that fucking remote control car was going. And it was <laughs> exactly. still following the fucking car. Like perfectly. Yeah. They're making turns. It's following. Like it's, yeah, like uh, I know it, it's so <laughs> crazy. There's no way he was doing that. the The killer could not drive in pursuit in that Monte Carlo and control the the car with that level of precision. I it just I don't see it happening. No, no. And, and we also have to assume that this remote control car is laden with enough explosives to blow up a full size sedan. Yeah, you know, so it's like it should be heavier and it should be sluggish because it's heavier because. They, we find out in a later scene that it's C4 inside there. And yeah, you can, you can deliver a big punch with oh, a small definitely. amount of C4, but it does have some weight. Um, I feel like the battery would have gone dead before they before it got anywhere near him after that chase. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just... It's, it's fun, but it's bullshit. <laughs> exactly. It was a fun thing, but total... <laughs> yeah. But you still had a cool a cool scene at the end of it because somehow, whether it was accidentally or on purpose, Harry goes down a dead-end street and he goes to turn around and suddenly he's basically backed into a corner watching this remote control car advance on him. And, and he's like, I got no more moves. So, like, the car very slowly goes underneath theirs. He's he puts his car in reverse and freaking floors it to try to back away in a last ditch effort to avoid being blown up. Yeah. And, and it like blows up in the front of the car. So basically the engine takes the impact instead of them in, um, and we'll, we'll say the, um, I don't know, cockpit of the car. Yeah. Whatever you want to call that, you know, yeah. the actual like driver and passengers. Yeah. 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 So, that kind of made sense to me. Um, but of course, 
Harry gets out without a scratch. You Poor know, Quan gets fucking yeah. impaled. Yeah, he's not knocked out from the concussion or anything like that. He's not like holding his head, you know, with his ringing ears. You know, Quan's the only one who gets injured because it's only it's only Harry's partners that ever get hurt, <laughs> right? And and if his at, grandfather didn't paint those protective Chinese symbols on him, oh he, right, he could have been dead. That's right. That's right. Yeah, we we forgot to mention that. Tell your grandpappy to maybe grandpappy should paint me some some paint some signs on me. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, we kind of skipped over all that. Yeah, you know? we forgot. That's a funny line. Yeah, it's more exposition on Quan. Yeah, you know what I mean, they had that jogging scene where um, uh, right before Harry beats up more of Gennaro's men who were basically put there to protect him. Uh, which was the only time we saw that it didn't appear anywhere else in the movie yeah. after that. Uh, but supposedly Jader was so scared. Something was going to happen to Harry that he, they ordered. Now he's got guys protected. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but Quan was like, Oh, I'm going to go, you know, and he's like, Oh, what's with all this? You know, it looks like he's got tattoos on him. He's like, Oh, one of my grandfather's superstitions, you know, he's like, he put all these uh, things to ward off like, uh, evil energy you know he's like i'm just trying to honor the guy I just let him do it you know and um and right before the remote control car scene you know harry's like uh, um listening to Quan tell him oh maybe you ought to lay low for a while i was like ah maybe i'll just have your granddaddy paint me up <laughs> <laughs> so get the remote control car scene now we got Quan in the hospital doctor explaining you know we drained some fluid off of his chest you know it's like Good thing he was wearing that bulletproof vest. Probably saved his life, you know. And then somehow Quan's awake. He's like, "Oh yeah, another one of my granddad's superstitions. Uh, if uh, somebody gives you advice, take it." <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. It's like he's the first guy in uh, Harry Callahan history that ever took his advice. Yeah, really. You know, and uh, I thought that was a cool callback to an earlier point in the movie that goes all the way back to the beginning. Yes. Right after the opening scene, mm -hmm. he gave that bit of advice to him. And like, we had a callback right then to that. I was like, you know what? This is really well-written. Yes. For being a garbage movie about. Well, uh, you look, you look at it this way. <laughs> Quan looked like a smart guy. Yeah. So in reality, if they are teaming you up with Harry Callahan, like, wouldn't you do your research and say, yeah, this this guy died. It was fuck. I was like, you know what? Fuck that. I'm getting a bulletproof vest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he should. And given uh, given Harry's reputation, you know, for for having partners get seriously injured or killed, I mean, it makes sense that somebody this late in the game would be a little bit more somebody... concerned about their safety. <laughs> you know. Um, um, I think we also left out the part where um, they determined uh, that letters that uh, Peter Swan received um, matched the typewriter that was used to send the Deadpool letters to the press. Um, and they figured out that that was uh, a character by the name of Harlan Rook. Um, he was evidently a groupie that was obsessed with Peter Swan and his movies um, and would kind of like seek him out and became worrisome enough that Peter Swan had a restraining order against him um, 
to maintain distance. So they never worked together. He was just an obsessed fan. Um, and of course, right after that hospital scene with Quan, uh, they immediately have a talk with a hospital psychiatrist who uh, found the case file and met them there. So it was just a convenient meeting. Yeah. You know, they were already in the hospital. Let's talk to the psychiatrist. Um, and I found it really weird that this psychiatrist couldn't look anybody in the eye. Like, he was acting a scene and he was like looking off to the side and all this stuff. Like he kind of acted crazy himself, you know, which I thought was interesting, but all it did was solidify that. Oh yeah. This Harlan Rook guy, you know, he's a whack job and he has no personality of his own and he, crazy it, horror fans, man. Yeah, I know. Crazy horror fans. They are just everywhere. <laughs> So, and this is about the same time that the, the killer uh, calls Samantha Walker and pretends to be Peter Swan and, and wants to offer her an exclusive interview. I don't know why she wasn't like red flagged by that. It's like, oh yeah. You know, yeah. like why wouldn't you question that a little bit? Or at least tell Harry, say, hey, come with me, you know. Yeah. But apparently she did have the, the good sense to basically tell the news office that it was down at the shipyards. Because... Um, they do that whole thing with, you know, um, the captain telling Harry that it's like, yeah, I can't get a hold of uh, Sam, you know, but uh, the news place said she went down for an interview with Swan at the shipyards. You know, this is after he was almost blown up. He had, you know, some very important plot points explained to him. He goes back to the apartment that they're investigating. Doesn't take any time off. You know what I mean? After almost being killed. Um gets to see like all the the posters and the typewriter and the explosives and the remote control car parts all in the dude's like apartment goes outside talks to the captain for like five seconds where they have this exposition yeah she's down at the shipyards steals the captain's car uh to go down there um and for some reason even though it's the middle of the day whenever harry gets down there it's nighttime it's nighttime i noticed that but <laughs> That must have been a long drive. <laughs> Hell yes. Or or it was just, it was right at dusk, dusk when he left. And it was dark when he got there 20 minutes later. I don't know. I uh, I thought that was funny, but I dismissed it from my mind. Um, And of course, no Scooby-Doo story would be complete, you know, without the uh, the killer, like, describing his motivations directly to the person he's getting ready to kill. You know what I mean? It's it, they do that in every like villain movie. They did it in every episode of Batman. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like just the, just spill his whole yeah, his yeah. whole agenda. They can't just kill you. They have to tell you why. Why? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we do get the neat uh thing where she fights back. Um he starts you know, I don't know, manhandling or something and, and presses play on the boom box. So welcome to the jungle comes back, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Harry finally gets there. He's not a fan of that music. He just blows a hole right in the <laughs> box. <laughs> and he's, so this dude is like, Hey, I got her. I'm going to kill her. Kick me your gun. And he's like, hold on a second. <laughs> Slides the door shut to the warehouse and locks it with this big ass padlock. He's like, "You just locked yourself in, asshole." He's like, "Yeah, just you and me, asshole." <laughs> uh, 
but he does cut her neck a little bit and that kind of changes his mind all right all right he's serious he drops his gun on the ground kicks it over so he's trying to hold her and reach the gun at the same time that's not working out super well harry grabs a big ass wrench over to the side doesn't hit him with it throws it and hits the big ass camera in the corner that's got the light on it uh sam takes off running and it's we got a cat and mouse now you got mm-hmm. a cat and mouse chase through this warehouse factory whatever the hell you want to call it down at the shipyards i don't know this dude's an idiot he's uh he's shooting at sounds yeah uh, he's not even taking carefully aimed shots it's like dude you got a revolver harry took one shot that leaves you're already you down five. one shot so yeah 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 you got five at most well Harry shoves her into a room, tells her to stay there. He goes into another room, knocks out a window, draws a guy outside while she's still inside. Um, and they run down to that area where they were shooting the scene earlier in the movie um, with the with the harpoon. Guy can't figure out where he's at. Thinks he's inside this little shack. When, when he comes walking out of the smoke with that harpoon. Because everybody is like, obviously, he doesn't have his gun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, like what? So what's gonna happen? His gun is out of bullets. <laughs> Even if he gets it back, there's no bullets in it. Yeah. You know what's? And he just comes out of the smoke with that freaking. Yeah. Bullet. We get another. We get another amazing callback. He's like, "You're out of bullets," and you know what that means. <laughs> You're, You're shit, shit out, out of luck. luck. <laughs> and so it's like, I feel like they were lampooning you know, the Harry Callahan movies here by having him use this ridiculously huge harpoon gun. Yeah, because um, it, it, was... <laughs> it was... I mean, he's done it in other movies, like in The Enforcer, he used the rocket launcher for that kill. Um, I don't remember how... Oh, he blew up the captain in uh, Magnum Force with uh, Magnum, with a bomb in the back. With the bomb in the back, yes. Yeah, yeah. So like they always do some big like final kill for for Harry in these movies. But this was like crossed like the ridiculous range. Like the, point. I was just like, this yeah. Is... <laughs> <laughs> this it was, was hysterical. <laughs> right. So I even wrote it down here. I said most ridiculous kill ever. But it's so fun. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, I know we spoiled the shit out of this movie. Um, anybody who hasn't watched it, I highly recommend it. Maybe you're not into cop flicks, but and, totally go uh, check it out, watch it. And he's uh, got his last comedic line when he tells the cop, the captain, oh, yeah. "Where is he? He's hanging around back there." <laughs> That's right. That is right. um i don't know man i feel like i i uh i did a lot of talking about this one um is there is there what it is it's a great movie man yeah any final thoughts you want on this film go for it it didn't i didn't mention the box office the budget for this movie was 31 million really and the box office was 37.9 million oh wow so it was technically successful, but I'm yeah. sure that they were hoping for it to or be more to double. Yeah, because um, I feel like that's kind of the goal. You know, yeah, I like, mean, for a 
a movie of the eighties, they I'm I'm sure they were expecting a lot more than that. Yeah, yeah. You know, then six point nine million profit. Yeah. And did you happen to read why this movie was even made? No, I didn't. Uh apparently uh Warner Brothers made a um I don't know if it was a verbal deal or a hang- handshake deal or if they actually had a contract, but like uh, they actually funded one of Clint Eastwood's pet projects uh, to like do like almost like a documentary on a musician. Um, I-, I don't have it in front of me, so I forget what what it was called. Um, but it was the same year, 1988, um, that he did that movie on that musician. Warner Brothers funded it. Um, and the only thing they asked in return was that he make another um, commercial um, movie for them. Mm-hmm. And they didn't even agree on what. Um, but what that turned out to be was another Harry Callahan movie. And they had this script written up and he did it to satisfy that agreement. Well, so I read that he didn't mind doing this movie because he's mm-hmm. in, in an interview with him that he said that he goes, it's kind of nice having this character. He goes, me going back to play Harry Callahan, sort of like visiting an old friend. Yeah. He goes, so I kind of, but they asked him also like, well, what would you do for another? He goes, I think Harry Callahan's done after this. He goes, I think he said, I picture Harry off somewhere fishing and getting aggravated that he's not catching it with the fishing pole and pulling out his gun and just starting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> right? Yeah. And one thing I, and even as a comic fan, I forgot about this one. Rob Liefeld, the creator of Deadpool, mm. said that this, he named Deadpool because of this movie. Isn't that crazy? I, I never th- knew that. And I'm a huge comic fan and Deadpool fan and never yeah. knew that. I'd have never thought that in a dozen years. Right? I, that blew my mind. Yeah. It's like, so, I mean, even though this movie technically didn't do that well, it did have, it did have a fan base. Um, Big time. And we, we are two of them. He, you know what? The character is, I mean, it's very, influ- he's an influential character, whether you like guns or not, or you yeah. cannot deny. I mean, I mean, when they created, when they came out with the Smith and Wesson Mile Twenty Nine, mm-hmm. it didn't really do well. Yeah, nobody wanted the gun. They could, they had so many of them. Stores weren't selling them. They're like, who wants a gun that shoots that big? You know, like this big caliber. Yeah, that movie came out. They couldn't keep them in the stores. Oh yeah, yeah. And Harry Callahan is not one of these people that you want to model yourself after. I mean, he's an Speak asshole. For yourself. <laughs> He's an asshole. He's a misogynist. He's a chauvinist. He's a dickhead. Um, But he's cool as fuck. I don't care what any... No matter what situation, even like he could have machine guns after him. He could be caught chases. He's so like, meh. You know, like, it doesn't bother him. And, (laughs) And he is effectively unstoppable. It's like he's never been shot. Like, uh, bullets just miss this guy. You know what like, I mean? They should have sent him after Michael Myers. They probably should they... have. Because he would be the only person that Michael Myers would be unable to stab. You know, it's like nothing hits this guy. Right? Um, 
Although I want to throw in one other thing, uh, like the influence of this movie did go beyond the movies themselves. I mean, like every time somebody did an impression of Clint Eastwood, it was almost 100% of the time a Harry Callahan impression. Um, and there was even a TV show. You may remember it. I think it was in the I 90s. I know what you're going to say. Sledgehammer. I have the whole season, <laughs> whole complete series on DVD. <laughs> that That entire show. Was a Harry Callahan impression exactly, and even the gun that he had <laughs> with oh, David Rash. Yeah, what's the difference? It was nickel plated and it had white ivory grips, you know, with a sledgehammer on it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was the only difference. I mean, he basically a, had instead the same of a gun. model twenty nine like Harry had, he had the six twenty nine, which was the nickel plated. <laughs> there you a, go. That was a great show, man. I used to watch that shit all time. I still remember the theme music. I um, yeah. <laughs> It was a great show. I loved it, and and all it did was lampoon Harry uh, Harry Callahan. Yes, that's all it did. So cool. <laughs> it is, I and mean, like any any movie. How many countless movies where anybody picks up any gun? Go ahead, make my day. You know, it's feeling lucky, punk. It's mimicked so many times, so many places. Oh yeah, it's so you can't take that away from it. It's yeah. just, it's it's a little re less relevant these days. Not not as many people remember uh, Harry Callahan, but for a long time, it echoed in pop culture, um, and it's still relevant to people like you yeah. and me. I think. And I told you, me and you were gun guys. Yeah, that was a Grail gun for me, which I never thought I would get. Oh, that's right, you got one. They're never. You know, they're not that common anymore. And sure enough, me and my daughter were in Cabela's and they had a used one in immaculate shape for like, it was like for like 800 bucks. And I was like, my daughter saw my look. She's like, she goes, that's the one you always, <laughs> like even she knew as a kid. She, I'm like, <laughs> I was like, I was like, I got to call grandma. I was like, <laughs> and I said, you need to work on it. She actually called my mother because I said, I can't leave the store without this gun. I said, I don't have enough. I said, but I was like, Ma, can you put this on your credit? I was like, I asked the guy, I was like, if I buy that gun, can my mom call with her credit card? And, you know, they'll send it to my gun store in Long Island. And he's like, yeah, yeah that's no problem. And I was like, now I got to ask my mother. It's like, Ma. <laughs> and I even made, my, my daughter did me a solid and called him. And she's like, Grandma, yeah, he really wants, he's been wanting this gun. for It's like, and he never found it. And it's, he really wants it. And she was like, all right. Well, I'm like. I'm like, way to go, kid. <laughs> oh, man. And it was stops. I did, And it was so funny because when I was doing the paperwork and everything at Cabela's, my mother was on the phone with the woman there doing it. And she's like, oh, you're buying it? Just like, there's all these people around me. Everybody's online. You're buying it? She goes, you have a nice, such a nice mom that'll buy a gun. <laughs> I'm like, all right, lady, let's just move it yeah. along. Yeah, you're laying it on thick here, you know. I'm like, she was so like, oh, that's so cool that you bought a gun for your son. You're doing this for him. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're like, tone it down. She's really going to feel like I owe her now. And like, I couldn't wait. <laughs> I couldn't wait to go. And even when I went to the gun store, my my local shop in Long Island, yeah. when it came and they took it out, everybody, all the guys there were like, the, that worked yeah. there, they were like, whoa, this is yeah, awesome. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, that's right, motherfucker. 
I love it. It's... That's great. That's great. Yeah. Um, well, um, my dad uh, was always a, a Harry Callahan fan. Um, and I think he also wanted that gun. Um, he never got one. Um, what he did get, though, was a Dan Wesson 357 mag with like basically the same length barrel. And it looks eerily similar. Dan Wesson makes yeah. quality guns. They, yeah. they sh- He still has it. I've shot that gun. Um, it's very nice. Um, and um, but I and mean, they're valuable now, too, because now Dan Wesson only makes 1911s. Oh, wow. They're, they were bought by CZ. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've heard of CZ, right? Firearms? Yes. They yeah. were bought by CZ, and now they make high-quality, very expensive 1911s. They don't make revolvers anymore. So if you Whoa. have a revolver, it's big it's bucks rare. for you to buy it's one. It's rare now. now. Yeah, very. how about that? I and didn't they know make, that. I mean, it's... it's uh, um. Daniel Wesson's great grandson that started that company from Smith and Wesson. Wow, that's awesome! You know, see, he, I never knew all that stuff. Um, that's so kind of cool to get that uh, background filled in a little bit. Talking about that now, they've yeah, always made nut. quality. <laughs> you know, I because I went recently, not too long ago, looking to purchase a uh, Dan Wesson revolver. And I was yeah. like, they, they don't make them no more. I went on their site. It's like, they only make, so you got, I went on Gunbroker and I was like, well, they're pretty up there now because they're hard to find. Yeah. Wow. Uh, you know, just out of curiosity, I might, uh, I might ask my dad to let me uh, get the serial number off of it. See if maybe I can uh, find out uh, a little bit more about it. Um and kind of find out what the model is and how much they're going for. Just out of yeah. curiosity. Not that I would ever sell it. You know. No, not at all. I know he won't. Um, will he let you shoot it? Pick a range day and we'll go. I'll bring the bring the 29 and we'll go. Maybe. Yeah, he might. I could uh I could oh, you ask, bring your dad too. Him. Yeah, I could do that. That'd be cool. Yeah, I got some other ones that I want to shoot. I mean, like I said, I never never shot that XD forty five that I got. Gonna have to do that sometime, you know. Yeah, and we got uh, here in Pennsylvania. You can use public ranges as long as you got a hunting license. No, oh, cool. So, um, uh, or you know, some other permit. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know how that works for you. We'll just hope that nobody shows up. <laughs> <laughs> start asking for IDs and stuff. I'm gonna start looking into it and find <laughs> out. I should be able to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could probably get a a, a range permit for Pennsylvania if you're gonna be traveling to to do yeah. that. I don't know how that works, but Pennsylvania is so easy when it comes to firearms. A little too easy, if you want my yeah. honest, honest opinion. And, and you know what else? I almost got. I was remember in a what was it in Sudden Impact and uh, what was the other movie? Uh, he used the auto mag. Oh yeah. Which the auto mag was basically a 40, 44 magnum, but they it was semi automatic. It was made by AMT Corp. Yeah, it was, uh, and it was chambered in forty-four AMT, which basically same rounds as a forty-four Magnum, but they were rimmed. They were not rimmed because they were meant to feed in a magazine. Right, right. Um, I'm going back maybe now eighteen, fifteen years ago. A girl I know, mm-hmm. a good friend of mine, was dating a guy who's 
either he or his old man worked for AMT. Oh. And still was able to get one. And like when he was, she was talking, she's like, my friend Mike's big into guns. She goes in and she's like, did you ever hear of AMT Auto? I was like, yeah, that's the gun from Dirty Harry. I mean, from. And she's like, the guy I'm talking to used to work for them. And she, I was like, and she said he could get one. Because I guess he told her, he's like, if your friend's into one, I could get him one. Wow. At a, at a considerably good price, too. And Ooh. I was like, I was like, I'm in. Whatever it is, I'm in. I was like, so like, I was like, do it up. And I was and I was talking and like, apparently things didn't go well for them. Okay. And they like, and I like, I was like, she was uh. like, yeah, I'm not talking. I was like, you couldn't just keep it going. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck, man? She broke up with it before I the was deal so, was done. I was so pumped. I was like, I'm going to get a fucking auto mag. I was like, nobody. And now you, even on Gunbroker, you can't find them. Oh, I bet. I, I bet like, they're impossible. I mean, there's a couple other AMT guns that they are still floating around, but not the auto mag. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I could have. Fu- I was like, I was so mad. I was like, why'd you even tell me? I was like, why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, could you, sure. I was like, I even consider. I was like, can I call him? And she's like, no. He's <gasps> a dick. No. Like, I'm like, fuck, man. <laughs> <laughs> she wouldn't even give you the number oh come on well i don't know what transpired between them so he might have charged me triple if he freaking but i was like god i was like that close i was like <laughs> that sucks <laughs> i'm sorry to hear that <laughs> fuck fuck <laughs> i i'd be happy with just shooting them shooting one one time you know what i mean oh it's yeah like, if i ever had the opportunity i, I would I don't have to own it. Just say, oh, yeah, I shot one of those one time. Well, he cool. shot one on Demolition Ranch. He got his hands on one. Oh, really? And, Back... he, and it jammed incredibly. He said he hated it. Oh, okay. So well. that kind of makes me feel a little better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I still want oh, it. <laughs> imagine how disappointed you would have been if you like spent the money, even if it was a good deal. You know it was hundreds. Yeah. You know, and you get that thing, and all it wants to do is jam as soon as you try to shoot if it. If you look like, it up, that's know, the catch. name of his video. I bought the dirty Harry gun and instantly regret it because it just keeps jamming. Even though he tried different ammo and it just keeps jamming. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, fuck. He's like, God damn it. Yep. Probably nicknamed it Bob Marley in the video because it's just be jamming, you know? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you want to put a number on this movie? Oh, um, I gave this one nostalgia points. Um, I Absolutely. did my, I did my, my typical checklist. Uh, you know, as I said, this, this is a childhood movie for me. I saw this in the theater with my dad. There's no way I could talk bad about it. Um, even though uh, I did kind of trash it a little bit when we talked about it, there was some bullshit that happened, but, it's, but <laughs> it was fun bullshit. It's fun. Uh, I was just gonna say it's fun bullshit. <laughs> um, they did a lot of things really well. I liked the camera work. Um, there were some talented people who worked on this. The soundtrack was awesome. And it and they did a weird thing. You don't typically get a song that's in modern pop culture that makes its way into a movie. It happens sometimes, but not a lot. Um, usually they like to do like um uh original soundtracks so they don't have to pay royalties out to a band, you know, that type of shit. Um, but this was a really cool movie. It's memorable. I would definitely watch it again. I would definitely recommend it to people, even though they might hate it. Um, 
So I gave it a 21 out of 30. Um, I didn't I didn't give it any wild card points because I feel like I was very favorable towards this with uh, with my nostalgia factor. So that's 24 out of 30. That's that's uh, I'm sorry, 21 out of 30, 70 percent, seven out of 10. So I feel it's a good score for this movie, maybe higher than it deserves. How do you feel about it? I'm I'm around the same place. Seven out of ten, maybe. You know, maybe uh, maybe the most is seven point five out of ten. Because like I said, it's one of those movies could be any amount of any time, and I could put it on and I can enjoy it. It's got the nostalgia factor. I think of my dad whenever I watch these movies. Who's not here anymore? So. Yeah. So I'll go to seven five out of ten. <laughs> Fantastic, yep. Uh, it, it doesn't surprise me that we'd have a similar score in this movie. I mean, it's yeah, it's great. It's um, like we said, even the ridiculous parts are they're ridiculous fun. They didn't they yeah. didn't make the movie bad, you know? They gave you something to like laugh at, but still made them enjoyable in the movie. Yeah, yeah. And and even though I, I reviewed it favorably, I, I really feel like I did give this an honest look um, and and pointed out a few things that maybe didn't need to be there. Um, but uh, incredibly, I wouldn't change a thing. No, not at all. <laughs> you know, like I said, I liked it better than the Enforcer. Yeah. Oh, well, that's not tough to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, I went back and watched that movie and I was like, God, what a pile of shit. <laughs> It's like it didn't even make any sense. The writing was so terrible on it, and, and they uh, just made him like extra douchey in it. I know, I know. <laughs> he was the biggest asshole that he's ever been in a Dirty Harry movie. In that movie, and uh, it was like no wonder it was fucking horrible. And uh, yeah, uh, I'm not even getting into that. It's fucking terrible. <laughs> well, now you need to go watch Sudden Impact. I do. I do. One of these nights I'm going to have to put that on, you know, maybe we can do a watch along. Uh, Cause you, you, you probably won't mind seeing it again. Not at all. <laughs> all right. Well, that wraps up another episode. Uh, if you have not seen this movie, we encourage you to go out and see it. You know, whether you like cop movies or not, whether you like Clint Eastwood or not, um, it's a good time, fun experience. And uh, Mike, any final words? I, I leave you. It's like I said, it's a, Nice ride, a lot of fun. Do yourself a favor and watch it. Yeah. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, I'll find cool. <laughs> there you go. Take a walk. Um, so, yeah, on behalf of Evil Mike and myself, I remind you all, remember. Fire, you son of a... <laughs>